0: Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, presented by Melrose Wakefield Healthcare. My name is Rob Branya, and I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Adam Blau, robotic abdominal and general surgeon, and co-chair of robotic surgery at Melrose Wakefield Hospital, and Dr. Brian Clark, gastroenterologist, and medical director of endoscopy at Melrose Wakefield Hospital, and both the Tufts Medical Center Community Care physicians. Welcome to you both. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Rob. Thanks Happy for having us. Here. Uh, So let's jump right into it. Today we're going to talk about gastroesophageal reflux disease, or GERD. Uh, Certainly an issue that affects many people. Uh, Let's jump right into it. Dr. Clark, what exactly is GERD?
1: So GERD, uh, Rob, GERD stands for gastroesophageal reflux disease. And it's otherwise more commonly known as acid reflux. And so what that is, is um, in normal settings, you have a a muscle at the bottom of your food pipe uh, that acts as a valve to um, sort of uh, separate the stomach from the esophagus or the food pipe. And when that valve or muscle doesn't function properly, you can get reflux of acid or juices from the stomach back up into the esophagus. Uh, that can cause symptoms or or damage to the food pipe. Um, And and those are the uh, symptoms that you experience uh, with GERD or uh, acid reflux. Okay.
0: So how is that different from regular heartburn, which is something, you know, we've all grown up hearing about and and
2: thinking about, uh, Dr. Blau? I would say they're synonyms. Um, and, And I tell patients, don't worry so much about these words, the terminology. And I try to understand from them, what are the symptoms that you're having? So do you feel that you're having a burning sensation? Do you feel that you're having regurgitation of food and drink? Do you feel that you have to sleep at night propped up with a bunch of pillows? Because if you lie flat, you're going to have some of these things. And and I and I tell them, don't worry so much about these, these words.
0: Okay. So can i just pop an antacid and have everything go away and won't i just feel better i mean isn't that what we were told pretty much going through the 70s you know plop plop fizz fizz and all
1: yeah so i mean there's a lot of different options out there for the symptoms of GERD. you know and 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 dr blau touched on a lot of those symptoms um antacids are are one of the most commonly used things because they're easy they're cheap uh you find them over the counter and for the most part they're effective Um, and so the way these antacids work is they're neutralizers. Um, so if you go back to your, your high school chemistry class, you might remember acids and bases, right? So if you have an acid and you add a base, you get neutral, uh, neutralization and, and and the symptoms you're getting are really from the acid component. And so by, uh, by sort of counteracting that acid with your antacid or, uh, neutralizer, that's how you feel better. So yes, for most people you can pop an antacid. They're pretty quick acting, uh, and they work a lot of the times. But for most people, especially the ones who end up seeing Dr. Blau and I, they've sort of tried the the uh, first line agents, and they they end
0: up uh, needing something more than that. Okay, so let's talk about those folks. So who are the folks? Who you know have this to a degree where they need to seek a little bit of extra help, and and the antacid on its own won't won't work out for them. Are there particular age groups? Are there races? Are, are you know who, who who's affected? First of all,
1: this is one of the most common things we see uh, as gastroenterologists. Um, one of the most common conditions we see is GERD, um, and the typical demographic is your your. Um, over sort of older gentlemen uh often uh you know overweight uh, can increase your risk um, um caucasians uh white males are generally the most affected but to be honest this affects everybody you know young old men women white black Absolutely. every race every gender uh, and every age can be affected so it really is is uh wide sweeping
0: and i Saw a figure recently that said that there are three million cases of GERD um, that come up every year, newly diagnosed in the U.S. That is a boatload of heartburn. Um, Thoughts: Is is that something where we're seeing the incidence and prevalence increasing as, as time goes on? And and if so, what are we doing wrong as a society that's putting us there?
2: That's a that's a great question. I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. There's a lot more awareness of the potential complications of heartburn. And a lot of doctors say, well, I don't want my patient to wind up in that situation where they're having a complication, which maybe we can talk about shortly. And, but I think what's, what is crucial, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, is really listening to the patient's symptoms. Then if you're, primary care provider, then you have a good sense of what's going on. And if you're able to treat the uh, GERD well, great. But if not, then that's a a time when you'd probably want to refer the person to Dr. Clark, a gastroenterologist, to continue the workup and maybe try something other than just over-the-counter Tums, for example. And most of the time, the primary care doctors will send patients to a gastroenterologist and then... When Dr. Clark and his colleagues do their evaluation, that's when the patient will come over to me as a surgeon for for possible consideration of of surgical management of acid reflux. Okay.
0: So you brought up complications. So, you know, are these things that just happen if... GERD goes untreated for a while, that they eventually sort of develop into something different, or there are some cases that are just so severe that right from the get-go, you know they need some extra attention.
1: Yeah, I mean, in sort of getting back also to um, to the to the mechanism why this happens, right? So you again, you have this this valve at the bottom of the uh, of the food pipe, and that acts as a barrier from the stomach into the esophagus. And so things that will uh, will, cause that valve to to malfunction or increase the risk of you getting reflux are things like being overweight, right? So anything that's gonna increase your abdominal pressure, something in this pressure in the stomach is gonna increase the reflux. Um, And then anything that uh, changes the barrier itself, like a structural thing, uh, which Dr. Blau will get into I'm sure later, uh, things like hiatal hernias, those are things that'll increase your risk. You know, um, and so, uh, yeah, the, the more risk factors you have, the more likely you are to have damage from the GERD itself. So
0: what's really happening? We're talking about acid in your body. And, and I just have this image, you know, in my mind of, you know, those old movie scenes where there's sort of a steel plant going on and there's all of this molten steel sort of p- pouring out all over the place. <laughs> what's going on in your body when this happens, when you feel that burn? So I'm, I'm a guy of a certain age. So I, I've started feeling this, you know, from time to time. And that's kind of what it feels like. But yeah, is it yeah. similar to what's actually happening? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're sort of right on the money. I mean, your stomach makes acid and, the,
1: and, and all these juices. The reason it does that is to digest your food. And so, um, you know, you can picture your stomach as sort of a cauldron of acid that's sort of digesting that food, breaking it up. And and that is very different than than your esophagus. Your esophagus is not used to seeing acid. It does not want to see acid. It does not like acid. And so when it's exposed to the acid, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be injured. It's going to feel pain. It's going to be like sticking your hand in a fire. You know, your hand is not used to seeing fire. It's not like putting a log in the fire, which is which is probably uh, right at home in the fire. Um, but but yeah, that's what you're feeling in the esophagus. Is you're feeling that burning, that acid picture that cauldron of liquid coming back up into your chest where it really doesn't belong. Uh, so that's exactly what you're feeling uh, when many when many patients experience heartburn. You are feeling a burn. It's like an acid burn.
0: It's a vivid picture. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about treatment options. So we've already talked about going to you know the, the local drugstore, picking up some antacids. So there's one thing. What's sort of the level? What's the hierarchy? And, and, and what's the, the Script that you follow.
1: Yeah, so so again, the first line agents tend to be things like the antacids, the neutralizers. There are other medications that are sort of acting like a barrier, um, so they don't neutralize the acid, but they coat your esophagus or coat your stomach in order to uh, act as a barrier or a buffer against the acid. And those are things like Gaviscon, Caraphate Those are some of the names you may see. Um, then you take a step up to the um, acid blockers. The acid blockers are are medications that actually uh, work on the cell that makes the acid in your stomach. So they're actually causing your body to produce less acid. Instead of just neutralizing the acid that's already there, they're actually preventing you from creating some of the acid. Um, and that, that's sort of like two different categories. One are the antihistamines. Those would be things like if you see Zantac or, uh, or Pepsid over the counter, those are sort of the weaker antacids. Uh, and then the, the, the strongest anti- uh, acid blockers, I should say, uh, are the proton pump inhibitors. So you might see Prilosec or uh, Nexium uh, over the counter. These are actually some of the most widely prescribed medications in the country for any condition. uh, Very widely used because, like you mentioned, this is a very, very uh, common disease. Um, So those are really the most effective, strongest, and best medications we have for this condition. And we usually do it in a stepwise fashion just like that, from antacids to antihistamines to proton pump inhibitors if needed.
0: And Dr. Blau, you're a surgeon. Tell us when and where um, a surgical uh,
2: Interaction would take place. Sure. So there are a few indications for um, proceeding with an anti-acid reflux surgery. One example would be some of the complications that you you can get from acid reflux. So, for example, if you have persistent reflux, and like Dr. Clark said, the lower esophagus is is not supposed to be in contact with that acid, and it can cause some damage. And sometimes the body will react to that damage by narrowing down. I, I tell patients, well, you get, you get a, basically a scar, scar tissue that forms in the lower esophagus and it will literally narrow down. And patients can have symptoms because the diameter now is much smaller. And sometimes we treat that without surgery and other times if a patient says, you know, um, I've considered things and I don't want this to sort of happen in the future, Maybe I'd like a surgery, which would be potentially a definitive sort of long-term management so that, all right, I get this narrowing stretched out, but then it won't happen again. So as an example, and the technical term for that is a stricture. Uh, There are other complications like something that is known as Barrett's esophagus. And Dr. Clark and I talk about this with our patients all the time because it happens to be a precancerous lesion, we call it, or precancerous damage, if you will, to the lower esophagus due to acid. And, and there's a lot of awareness about cancer and precancer. And patients ask all the time, well, what, what's the likelihood that this precancer turns into cancer? And fortunately, it's very, very low. And a lot of times, the proton pump inhibitors, like Dr. Clark mentioned, that's that is appropriate and sufficient and you get upper endoscopies cameras down the mouth to examine and make sure that that, that precancerous area has resolved but sometimes there are patients where doing an anti acid reflux surgery could benefit that 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 precancer as an example another another indication for surgery would just be really bad daily symptoms that are not getting better, let's say, with medicine. The patients say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really doing a good job of taking my medicine every day. I'm, I'm really staying away from the foods and the drinks that, that worsen my reflux, but I, I, this really affects my quality of life every day, and I'm, I'm really tired of it. And so in those patients, in some of those patients, it makes sense to, to pursue an operation. And the goal of the operation would be really eliminating all those symptoms. Now, with surgery, there, there are definitely risks. Uh, and I always go through all the sort of potential risks with patients, and I want them to understand all the possibilities so that they sort of understand uh, before entering into a surgery what, what, what the, the likelihood of success is and what potential risks are and so forth. And I always like to make the point that you really have to take each patient sort of separately, and you have to see how they're feeling, and what is their level of risk w- what are their goals, and then you can decide whether or not a surgery would be good for them so that's great information dr
0: blau and and speaking of these surgeries, um, you know how easy are they uh, for somebody to undergo is Is this a major operation that people are going to have
2: to you know think about or what exactly is involved sure i I tell patients that really there are three ways to do pretty much any operation. There is an open approach where you make a big incision and you, if you're doing an abdominal surgery, go into the belly with sort of your hands and hand-held instruments and you can complete the operation that way. The next generation of sort of technique is a minimally invasive technique, a laparoscopic technique where you can make small incisions And you can put long instruments through small incisions, and you put actually a video camera through one of the small incisions, and you can complete an operation, what we call in a minimally invasive way. And the small incisions give a person a lot of of, of, uh, advantages compared to the open surgical approach. For example, their post-operative pain is less, and likely their time in the hospital is less for that reason. And they probably don't need any narcotic or very few narcotic pain medicines because their incisional pain is less. They have less of a chance of getting infections at their incisions because they're smaller and they're not very large incisions where the belly is literally opened up in the operating room and I could continue on and on but but there are a lot of nice advantages. And the third sort of even most the, the most latest surgical technique is a robotic assisted approach and the differences between a robotic approach and a laparoscopic approach include the robotic approach you get a 3D camera that the surgeon can really get a great idea of of a great depth perception actually when operating and the instruments are very sophisticated they're more sophisticated than the laparoscopic instruments and the technology is unbelievable because every year the technology gets better and better and better. I would say most surgeons in the country they are performing an anti-reflux surgery either laparoscopically or, or robotically. And the research that we have does not show that the laparoscopic or the robotic is, is better than the other. They can they both are effective and it's both a nice minimally invasive approach. I perform most of my surgeries robotically. And just to talk not too much, but a little bit about robotics, the surgeon controls the robot 100%. There's no automation to it. There's nothing automatic about it. But you get sophisticated instruments and you get 3D vision. And it the minimally va- invasive approach in general just makes this surgery um, um, a, a relatively um, straightforward sort of recovery for the patient. As an example, most of my patients will not get any narcotics after the surgery. They're walking the same day after the surgery. They do have to stay in the hospital at least overnight, and sometimes two nights. And that's because I want to make sure they're they're ready before discharge. It seems like that it's a relatively straightforward patient post-operative course.
0: OK, great. It seems like whenever I go to my doctor, and no matter what issue I'm having, the answer always seems to be, well, what are you doing in your lifestyle? Um, and it's always about eat better, exercise, get some sleep, uh, hydrate, all of those things. Um, do those things have a, a play in, in GERD as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. That, and, and, I, you know, the good thing is that you know, GERD's so prevalent, but we, you know, Dr. Blau and I don't even see the majority of the patients. They don't even have to come see us, you know, so most of the patients really can manage their symptoms with simply diet and lifestyle changes. And I say simply because it doesn't require medications, but as we all know, changing your diet and lifestyle is actually probably, you know, sometimes the hardest thing. Um, but But yeah, most patients can manage their symptoms with diet and lifestyle changes alone. And so those would be doing things like uh, eating s- smaller, more frequent meals as opposed to eat- eating large meals, so you have less food in the stomach, less pressure in, in the belly pushing up. Um, not eating late at night, especially if you have nighttime symptoms, um, uh, or not eating the food triggers that relax that muscle. So, a lot of the food triggers are things like coffee, peppermints chocolate, tomato sauce. So all the good things in life, you know, but um, yeah, but me. I know <laughs> it's the hardest thing. So, uh, or if you know, you're going to, you, you know, you know, you're going to go out to dinner some night, ha- have um, alcohol and, and tomato sauce thing, you can preventatively, you know, take something to treat it. Um, and then weight loss, you know, maintaining a healthy weight, staying active, um, those things all help. Um, Dr. Blau had mentioned earlier about elevating the head of your bed. So at night, if you have nighttime symptoms that can help as well to allow gravity to, to, to bring things back down into the stomach. Um, so yeah, some simple, um, changes in your diet, simple changes in your lifestyle can really have major impacts on your symptoms and possibly allow you to, um, not only feel better, but not, be dependent on medications or surgeries or other interventions um, uh, that we
0: often have to undertake, and it's probably also the type of thing where people don't necessarily speak up uh, when you have your regular physical. You know, it, this is something you should talk with your your physician about, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is a very important condition. Dr. Blau mentioned some of the serious things that can occur. Uh, precancerous conditions, increasing your risk of esophageal cancer. So um, you really want to get to the bottom of this uh, when you do have symptoms. You know, some of the things uh, if you're experiencing that you really want to mention to your doctor are if you do have heartburn or burning in your chest, especially if it's uh, happening more than a couple times a week. Or if those symptoms are not responding to the, to the over-the-counter medications, or if you're dependent on those medications. If you say, I got to take a Tums, or I have to take a Zantac to get through the day, or to go out to dinner every night, uh, that's an important thing you really want to know about. Um, uh, or if you're experiencing other serious symptoms like... Um, you know, seeing blood in your vomit or blood in your stool, uh, or having swallowing difficulties like food getting stuck going down. Those are those are very serious things uh you would want to mention to your doctor and, and they can help determine whether, you know, you need to see a specialist uh like Dr. Blau or myself, um, or if there are other things they can do to help. But yeah, the the key is really getting on top of things. So not only do you feel better, but you prevent, you know, any any potential long term complications.
0: Great information. Surgeon Dr. Adam Blau and gastroenterologist Dr. Brian Clark, thank you so much for this conversation. I think it was very informative. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast or have feedback for us or want to suggest future topics, please send us a note at community at melrosewakefield.org. The Healthy Podcast is co produced by Melrose Wakefield Healthcare and Wakefield Community Access Television. For more health information, listings of future community events and lectures, or to find a doctor, visit melrosewakefield.org. All content heard on the Healthy Podcast was created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Thank you.